Aloha, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Jason Jones Show. This past week, because it was Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, my 12-year-old son asked me, Dad, he asked me that old question, Dad, if you could take a time machine and fly back and kill a young Hitler, would you do it? And I said, no. I would get in the time machine, I would go back, and I would move next to the young toddler Adolf Hitler, and I would try to be kind and gentle and generous to that little boy to help him grow up to be a kind and gentle and generous man. I wouldn't go back and kill him. And I said to my son, but guess what? In a way, we were put in a time machine, and we were put into this very place and space and time. And so should we go around looking for baby Hitlers to kill or should we go around and show kindness and respect and love? And should we pay attention to the atrocities that are happening in the world today? Well, that's why we are rushing to get out this interview that was meant to be evergreen to get out in the next couple of weeks. But I wanted to get it out because of that conversation I had with my son And also because it's a pressing situation. While we're fighting the genocides of decades ago, we used to say never again with such confidence, I remember as a young boy growing up in the late 70s and 80s. But now if we say it, we say it with embarrassment. And I argue we should replace never again with a new one called again and again. Because since the Holocaust, we have had genocide after genocide democide after democide, and we're not paying attention. And today I interview a a young man named Sali, a young Uyghur man who has an organization that that you can go to at nationalawakening.org about the horrible genocide that is taking place right now in China. Briefly, in 1949, communist China invaded East Turkestan. And today, they're waging a brutal ethnic cleansing, and the world isn't paying any attention. I have even heard decent people, people I thought to be decent, people I respect, say, well, the Chinese are doing to the Muslims what Europe's going to have to do in 40 years. Today, it is acceptable, I guess, to be indifferent to the genocide of Caucasian Muslims occupied by China. In the very same way, there was no stigma in the West against anti-Semitism in the early 1930s as the Nazi government was beginning to put its hooks in Europe. Sorry for this long, rushed, rambling introduction, but this is an interview with a beautiful man. And at one point he reveals something that I don't know if you can tell, but I actually broke down crying. It was hard for me to keep my composure. So sit back, I don't want to say relax, but please listen to the voice of a young Uyghur man who is pleading to you to speak up for his people. And this episode has been brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world at the most vulnerable moments of their life. Go to our website thegreatcampaign.org and sign up to be a part of the team. Here we go. 
Aloha, Sally. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Jason. Thank you for having me. Hey, uh, brother, I want to have you. I, I wanted to have you on my show, and uh, I reached out to your publicist because I saw a YouTube video about the plight of the. And I'm going to pronounce this wrong, so I, I I want you to to help me pronounce it correctly. But the Oigler, Oigler, yeah. Um, your, so it's how do we how do we pronounce your people? So it's officially like the way we pronounce it is Uyghur, but it's very uh, difficult to pronounce for uh, Uyghur. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oigor. You know, hope for me because I took Spanish for four years and only learned four words. So Oigor. Is that good? Yes, yes, that's good. <clears throat> so I, I run a little organization called the Vulnerable People Project, and our mission is to stand in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world at the most vulnerable moments of their life. Like, So this is our mission, whether it's the child in the womb here in the United States or uh, the Yazidi on Mount Sinjar. That's our mission. And I saw this video of the plight of the Uyghur, and I couldn't believe it. And I had to do some digging because what I was hearing sounded like the worst crimes committed by the Nazis in Eastern Europe or by the Japanese against the Chinese or the imperialistic history of the West uh, and Africa and the Americas and Asia was happening right now today in East Turkestan, which was occupied by China, I guess, almost 50 years ago? Uh, about almost 70 years ago in uh, 1949, oh, wow. December 1949. Oh, so right after the revolution. Yes. So um, what I wanted to do is my audience is small and growing, but they're very influential with people in the entertainment industry, people in Congress, bishops. And I want you to share what's happening to the Uyghur people, uh, a little bit about their history, and then what we can do. You know, one of my biggest fears, I think that, and and we talked before, and uh, I know you were educated in the United States, raised in the United States. I think one of the problems we have is this sort of virtue signaling where we pretend we're doing something to help a persecuted people, but all we're really doing is feeling good about ourselves. Like we did something and we didn't do anything at all. And I think sometimes people don't do anything at all because they don't want to do that. And so I think when I heard what was happening in East Turkestan, I felt like, really, what in the world we can do? So can you tell us a little bit about what is happening in East East Turkestan? Uh, why? A little bit about the history of your people and how it's being misrepresented in the press in the West and, and why that's happening. Yes. Uh, so right now... Um According to uh, the United Nations uh, Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, uh, over one million people, uh, uh, Uyghurs and other Turkic uh, peoples of East Turkestan, are in uh, counter-extremism centers, with a further two million or more in political uh, and cultural re-education camps. Um, these are essentially uh, concentration camps. Uh, and China started this uh, back in 2016 is when they officially started it. Uh, calling it vocational training centers or re-education centers, uh, targeting to, quote, de-radicalize our population and to make us more patriotic and loyal to the Chinese state. Um, so the reason that this is happening is for the past uh, 70 years, almost nearly 70 years, since December 22nd, uh, 1949, when uh, East Turkestan officially lost its independence, uh, China has been colonizing the region uh, 
and they have been uh, forcefully trying to assimilate our people. Um, and our people have been very uh, resistant to this, not so violently, but resistant as in uh, not willing to uh, adhere to you know um, Chinese ideology, communist ideology, uh, and uh, integrate. Uh, so there's always been this uh, bad blood, you know, um, between uh, the Chinese state and the Uyghur people uh, and the other peoples of East Turkestan. I mean, we've always been struggling to um, uh, regain our independence. Um, and so, well, and, and you know, I know the media often represents you as Chinese Muslims and I, and that's what I thought. So, but as I began to investigate, you're not Chinese Muslims at all. I mean, you're not Chinese. No, no, we are not uh, ethnically or religiously or culturally or even historically uh, tied to China. We have nothing to do with China until more recently, um, as, as you can see, when China actually occupied uh, and uh, maintained uh, control over East Turkestan. Uh, East Turkestan, I mean, has historically for thousands of years has been the home of the Uyghurs and other Turkic-speaking peoples. And the Uyghurs are... Uh, and actually a hybrid of uh, the uh, Indo-European uh, and the Turkic uh, tribes that inhabited uh, East Turkestan and Central Asia uh, for, uh, for millenniums. I mean, this, this uh, hybridization began um, roughly, according to uh, anthropologists, some 2,200 years ago. So, so if you're Indo-Europeans, my wife is Han Chinese, and I'm you know Northern European in English, German in English. We are ethnically connected. We are genetically connected. So we would be more likely to share genetic markers, you would with me, than with my wife, because you yes. are Indo-European peoples. That's amazing. And, yes, and, that's more, and probably more culturally similar to the West, would you say? Yes, definitely. I mean, that's why you have like, like if you visit East Turkestan, you will find in some parts of East Turkestan, people with blonde hair and blue eyes. And you'll be like... I wonder what these people are doing here, you know. Um, a majority of us, a uh, majority of the people of East Turkestan, they don't look anything like the Chinese. Uh, we're, we don't resemble the Chinese. I pers- myself, I mean, I, my like facial hair is all like blonde and red and like it's, 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 it's nothing, you know, Chinese, you know. I don't look Chinese. Uh, majority of our people don't look Chinese remote or in, in any way. Um, but you know, uh, there are there are other, other Turkic people in East Turkestan that have a more Asiatic um, resemblance, like the Kazakhs or the Kyrgyz. But the Uyghurs primarily uh, they're they have more uh, European uh, blood in their um, the European DNA than so Asiatic DNA. Does it frustrate you that growing up in the United States and you hear how sensitive we are about? cultural appropriation and being respectful and and um, sort of our own embarrassment of imperialism to just hear the Western press just refer to the Uyghur as Chinese Muslims? Does that drive you? I mean, that would make me go bonkers. That would make me so upset because they know very well, right? Of course, they know very well that you're not Chinese Muslims, that you're an yes, occupied uh- people. They under, They understand that. But when they when we choose to refer to you as Chinese Muslims, we're actually helping the Chinese government in their campaign of genocide, aren't we? 
Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, that personally, like, if it would offend me, you know, um, it would offend any uh, people in East Turkestan, whether you're Uyghur, Kazakh, Kyrgyz, or Uzbek, uh, to be labeled a Chinese Muslim. Um, the, and then this is part of the plan of China to keep it as, like, part of China's internal affairs. You know, they're like, oh, it's our people. We're just doing this to our people. You know, this is my internal affairs. So you have no right to interfere when in reality, I mean, this is an occupied nation, occupied state. And uh, it's it's not China's internal affairs. China is violating uh, and has been violating uh, international law and has been violating the sovereignty of East Turkestan, of Tibet, of South Mongolia, and, and even Manchuria. And they're violating. Let's let's go into. By the way, when you said they call that these they call these concentration camps work camps, and or vocational training camps. And I think of that menacing sign that loomed over Auschwitz. That was, I think, it was Arbeit macht frei. In, in English, it was work sets you free. This idea that a concentration camp is some sort of vocational center is repugnant. And Mark Twain said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And what's happening in East Turkestan rhymes with what happened to the Turks in Bulgaria, what happened to the Jews in Europe and Eastern Europeans under Nazi occupation. There's this horrible rhyme, but the world isn't paying attention. And I read that they're actually cremating the bodies just like the Nazis to hide the evidence. Can you talk about how many people are in concentration camps? I read up to 70% of the population is in some form of detention. Um, I mean, is that true? Is that, is an, is that an accurate number? Um, yes. I mean, the, I mean, the UN, like the committee for elimination of racial discrimination, you know, uh, they, they said around 3 million people, but we believe that the numbers are much higher. Like in my family alone, I have both on my parent, my mother's and father's side, over a hundred relatives in these, uh, concentration camps or prisons. Um, I just not, not even two weeks ago, I had, uh, a cousin who was tortured to death in the, uh, uh, in the prison and or the concentration camp, and uh, they wouldn't uh, let the family take his two body. Weeks, I mean, they, two two weeks ago, your cousin was murdered. Yes, in a concentration camp. Yes, I'm sorry, and, and this is, uh, and he was cremated. And uh, we we believe that's what ha- what's ha- what's happening because they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't uh, release his body. I mean, what they probably did is probably harvest his organs and then cremated his body uh, to hide the evidence. I mean, hundreds of people are dying in these camps uh, daily. I mean, there's according to uh, Adrian Zins, he's a German researcher. He said that there's over 1,200 of these camps across East Turkestan. And, you know, looking at the testimonies of uh, former detainees in these camps who happen to be citizens of uh, Kazakhstan and in one case, a citizen of um, Egypt. And that's why they were even allowed to leave. And these people said, you know, we witnessed people being like women being raped. Uh, We're being we were forcibly fed medication. Uh, We were tortured. Um, People die from torture, from starvation, from um, uh, uh, exposure to uh, diseases because they're all crowded and then the, the bodies you know uh they, they have these crematory facilities which they call burial management facilities in which these bodies are burned i mean this is 
I'm 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 stunned and speechless. And and this isn't getting any coverage, is it? No, I mean nobody has actually focused on this aspect. Like they they focus on oh yeah, there's these camps, but they haven't really talked about how many numbers. Like a few uh, small media, you know, uh, picked up like there's 1,200 camps, and they talked about the the rape uh, that's occurring, the forced medication that's occurring. But the uh, major media they're, outlets, they're forced. I, I read even, that they're sterilizing the men. Yes, the Chinese government. Yeah, and, and they're forcing thing, the you know, women to marry Han men. Yes. So they're sterilizing yes, they're, the Uyghur. They're they're, they're trying to eradicate the essence of our uh, existence. Like they're trying to prevent us having a future. Like they're trying to eradicate us as an entire nation. Over five hundred thousand children have been forcefully separated from their families and sent to either. Uh, boarding government boarding schools or state-run orphanages or even given to uh, um, Chinese families to be adopted. I mean, this this in itself, you know, if we look at the United Nations Genocide Convention, I mean, what consistence is ge- what consists as genocide is like forced abortion or preventing births from one uh, in a population, uh, forcefully like in- inflicting conditions that will bring about the destruction in part or whole of a, of a religious, ethnic, or whatever group, um, forced relocation, uh, a transfer of children from one group to another. This is all happening in East Turkestan as we speak today, and it continues to happen on a daily basis. And Well, and I want to commend you. I, first, first of all, you're a young man, you're a student, and you're an American, but that you still have family back home where you're from, where your roots are. And I think it is a beautiful thing. What I love about our country is that we are the people of the world who've come together to be free and to to work for justice. I, I as an Anglo-American, was a big supporter of Brexit. You know, my family's English. And this is just a normal thing. Um, and it's a courageous thing. And um, so I want to just, first of all, commend you for using your voice, because when you're here, you're here, you have an obligation to do this for your family, for your cousin, and you're doing it. Um, So I want to commend you. Now you have these forced abortions, forced sterilization. You have women put into forced marriages. Does it drive you? I mean, we're hashtagging me too, because somebody was flirted with inappropriately. And we have you know, there's still 3,000 missing Yazidi girls. The world doesn't talk about this. We have 1,500 camps in China, women being pushed into forced marriages, being forced to actually carry children from men that, that they didn't want to marry. And where, where's, where's the West? Where's the, where are the feminists? I mean, who is there any group in the West that is latched on to your cause to say, we need to tell this story? Uh, unfortunately, I mean, there's not really, um, I mean, any group that has actually latched on specifically to this. Uh, there, there have been various organizations, human rights organizations that are talking about it, but it's still not enough. You know, it's not to the point, like, we're not telling the real story. We're just telling whatever um, the Chinese uh, like the softened version of whatever the Chinese government says is okay. You know, something that won't even like, we're offering like a sugar-coated pill of the reality. A homogenized version. Yes. They, they, they can't deny anything's happening, so they give us a neat, clean narrative. You know, 
part of the problem is, I mean, first of all, we know the occupation is for the, it's, it's rich and you're rich in rare earth minerals, right? It's, it's, this is a trillion dollar uh, occupation, right? I mean, it, there's, you're, it's a, uh, what, what's there? What do we, what do we, why is China there? Why are they so committed to ethnic uh, cleansing? So, e- e- so East Turkestan is 1,828,418 square kilometers or roughly two and a half times the state of Texas, actually 2.65 times the state of Texas. Um, it's rich in natural gas, oil, coal, um, jade, uranium, copper, gold, um, silver. It, it, all the rich mineral re- mineral and natural resources are in this region. And more so, it's a strategic hub. Uh, it borders eight countries, including China. Um, it borders Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Tibet, uh, Russia, Mongolia, and then um, China to the east. Um this is part of China's crucial. It's, it's crucial to China's uh, one belt or one road, uh, one belt, one road strategy, which is uh, China's project to achieve its so-called uh, Chinese dream, which is a neo-imperialistic po- uh, project to make China the sole global hegemon. So, losing control of this region would cut off China from pretty much. Uh, like the, the West, its trade routes to the West. And that's something that China does not want to, uh, does not want to ha- see happen. Uh, that's why they're also, you know, in the South China Sea, building up all these islands so you're, you're, to control you're, you're, trade. So you are Poland. What Poland was to, the Nazi, to Nazi Germany, that's what your exactly. country is, East Turkestan, to China's imperialistic exactly. ambitions. And we saw what happened when the world refused to address Hitler in Poland. We had a menace that that uh, shook the world. And, um, you know, I will tell you, working in the film business, working in politics, running a nonprofit, China touches everything. Everything. People are afraid to make movies because they don't want to offend China. People are afraid to write press releases or make certain comments because they don't want to offend China. I remember in the 90s when we were having the debate on whether or not China should have permanent MFN status and what should be the relationship between the United States and China and trade. We were told by liberalizing trade with China, China would become more like us. But now that we see American tech giants participating with China on the surveillance of their own people, I think the exact opposite has happened. China has not become more like us. We have become more like them. I mean, I think this is the real challenge that we have to get the word out. Because everyone looking at their own little self-interest is they're really afraid. I mean, in, in Hollywood, to see studio executives afraid of to make a movie because they don't want to offend a foreign country, it's absolutely bizarre to me. In a country that commits the most atrocious crimes, unbelievable, unspeakable crimes. We're not only talking about in East Turkestan, but just forced abortion policy across their whole country. 
So, so what can we do? So we're sitting here and we, you know, where, where is the, where's the point of leverage? If you were a member of Congress, if you were a bishop, and I'll tell you one of my greatest heartbreaks was to see the Pope, Pope Francis, literally kowtow to China. I don't know if you know this, but China now chooses the Catholic bishops. Did you know that? In China. And, and yes, uh, but even then, you know, there is no religious freedom for even the Catholics. Catholics no, we have there. less freedom. Not, I mean, not only do we not have freedom, um, we, we have subordinated the entire church in a way to China, because if they're choosing bishops and cardinals, they will be affecting future pap- papacies who will be pope. So... So, exactly, so, because China is going to be the it's one of the most growing uh, it's, it's an area where Christianity is growing in large numbers. So they might advance like in the next 20, 30 years. China might be the most uh, populous Christian nation in the world if the Communist Party doesn't stop, uh, doesn't prevent, uh, you know, try to. Prevent so when, this. when Pope Francis knelt before communist China, I really what most frustrated with me about it was not only the persecution to Christians, but didn't this intensify and further isolate the Uyghur? Exactly, because, you know, China, from that China got, oh, okay, so the West, they're going to do exactly what I want because I control the money. I I can just use my political and uh, economic influence to get what I want. So if they're going to be okay uh, with me, um, pretty much castrating, excuse my language, the Catholics in um, in China, uh, then they definitely shouldn't care about me going around uh, locking up millions of uh, Muslims in East Turkestan. Yeah, no, I think that was the the message that that Pope Francis sent. And, you know, one of our challenges, it's such a big, busy world with social media, but it's it's also an opportunity. And with the work that I do, you know, when I'm in Iraq, I... I just so fell in love with Kurdistan and so much so that when I call home, I called home from Erbil and my wife heard the sound in my voice and she said, we're not moving to Kurdistan. (laughs) She's like, no, we're not moving there. I hear it in your voice. I know what you're going to ask. And I wasn't going to ask that, but, but I guess I was communicating. Can you tell us about the history of your people, the beauty of your people? Because I know that if, if I as an American went there, I found this everywhere I went, whether I was in, you know, Darfur or and with the Dinka or with the Nuba in, in, in Sudan, or if I was with the Kurds, you just realize we're just really all the same, but there's just this unique beauty that every culture has. Can you, can you, if, if you want, could you share with people the unique beauty of the Uyghur that's being erased from the planet Earth? Um, by the Chinese government. Can you share that with people? What we're, we're going to lose is a world community? Yes. So um, when people think of paper, they automatically uh, assume that uh, the Chinese invented paper or even the typing press. But if you look at historical evidence, it was the Uyghurs who invented, like the Uyghurs were using paper several hundred years before the Chinese had access to that to paper or several hundred years before they had access to the typing press. The Uyghurs have 
are the ones who invented uh, uh, like even gunpowder. I mean, they had a beautiful irrigation system that was built over 2000, uh, uh, 2000 years ago. Uh, the Uyghurs, you know, also built uh, like massive pyramids that are much bigger than the ones in uh, Egypt. Uh, one of them, the Great White Pyramid, it's about three times the size, almost three times the size as the one in, in, in Giza. Um, and these have been, you know, craftily hidden by the Chinese government. Uh, they planted like trees and just like locked it off, you know, uh, from from civilization, you know, uh, made it into like a special military zone to hide, hide evidence of the rich history of East Turkestan. Um, the... The Aryans, you know, if you trace the origins of like the quote Aryans, you know, the Indo-Europeans, I mean, they, they inhabited the Tarim Basin. Um, it, you have ancient mummies that are five, four, five, even 6,000 years old that were found in East Turkestan. And they resemble, you know, we, we, res- we resemble them and they resemble uh, the local inhabitants that are in the region, which, uh, which uh, the Uyghurs are a descendant of. And these are people with like... Uh, either blonde hair, blue eyes, or reddish, um, like Celtic-like peoples. And so China, you know, is very uh, fearful to um, even mention that. And the first thing that they did when they occupied East Turkestan was rewrite the history and always said, you know, change the name from East Turkestan to Xinjiang, uh, calling it the new territory, and then yet claiming that this region has been part of China since ancient times. I mean, our people have c- contributed in science, in uh, in medical, in medicine, in technology, in astronomy, uh, to humanity. I mean, we have a rich musical and artistic culture, and that's all being destroyed right you now. You know, what's interesting is um, being that you're an Indo-European people is like I think of the Yazidi, who are sort of a proto-Semitic people, and they're connected to the Arabs, the Jews. And to think that they're the ones suffering the most when you really know it's just a family. And it, and it, is, really, it is really heartbreaking. And, you know, you said also about the Western press. Is, that, is there a way we can get the press to just start referring to it as East Turkestan? Yeah, and and every time I I give interviews or every time I even talk about the issue, I refer it as East Turkestan because, you know, the the name like the Chinese name they call it Xinjiang. It literally means the new territory. It it, it literally shows you that this area is not a part of China. Um, and I'm like, why is why is it the West? You know, the media calls Tibet Tibet, but calls East Turkestan. By the Chinese name, like we, it, this term is very humiliating uh, and it's very offensive you know, to us. And we fight all these. So you know, we try to resist imperialism of a hundred, two hundred, three hundred years ago. Maybe we should just fight it today. You know, instead of trying to go back and and rewrite every wrong throughout human history, maybe we can just resolve that today, going forward, we're not going to behave that way, right? So we, we hear people talking about these great atrocities of exactly. the past. Well, I am sorry. There's nothing that I can do about that. Nothing. But what we can do is say going forward, we are going to do our best to be respectful, to respect the incomparable beauty and dignity of the human person, to respect families, to respect communities and cultures. And um, with how... Uh, 
this new speak we're seeing in our vocabulary where we're being sensitive on so many issues, you think maybe we can convince the Western press just to start using East Turkestan. I mean, I think that might be just a good place to start. Exactly. And that's something that I, I've been pushing for, you know, because it's, that term is very humiliating to us. It's very, every time we hear it, it's like, as if we're like, excuse my language, as if we were cursing at our own mother or if someone is cursing at our mother, you know? Yeah. So I just want to, I want to wrap it up because I want to keep it short so everyone listens. But the reality we have is we have a population of what, what you said, the population, um, the population is. So it's about. Uh, we estimate that it's about 30 to 35 million people. Um, officially, the Chinese government in its 2015 census put the Uyghurs at around uh, 11.5 million. And then uh, the total Turkic population in about 13.6 uh, million. But, you know, in 2017, the Chinese government said that they collected the DNA samples, retina scans and voice prints of over 18.8 million can you, people. Can you say that in again? That alone is horrifying. Say that again. You have an occupied people that a foreign power did what? They, in 2017, in December 2017, the Chinese government stated that it collected the DNA samples, voice prints, and retina scans of over 18.8 million people between the ages of 12 and 65 under the guise of free medical examination. And for security purposes, you know, to make sure that Nothing goes wrong. Uh, but this makes me very disturbed, you know, because I'm studying national security and I'm like, what if they're actually using this information to uh, like, you know, create bio, uh, bio biological weapons to target target uh, our people? Or what if they're, they're collecting this information to see wh- whose organs match up for what, you know, in the event The problem is these things sound so crazy. There are people are going to roll their eyes, but we know for a fact in communist China, we have forced abortions. No one's denying that. We know we have forced harvesting of organs. We know that. We know they're making genetically modified babies. It's a fact. That's a fact. So now we know they admit that they collected DNA, retinal scans, and voice prints of 17 million, 18, 18 million point, people. 18.8 what million is people. having my voice imprint or my retinal scan have to do with my health care? That's, that's for national. That's, that's tyrannical. That's unbelievable. You have 70 to 80% of the population in some for, form of detention. You've been forced to renounce your religion. Uh, profess atheism. You know, these are things growing up in the United States uh, as in the, in the 70s and 80s, we were constantly warned about the horrors of socialism and that the socialists would make us reject God. They would put us in concentration camps, that this is how totalitarian socialists behave. We, we, we heard all the horror stories that were true that were happening in Europe, in, in Eastern Europe. And they are happening today in our world, in China, and we're silent. So can you tell us what we can do right now? So, Because listening to this doesn't do anything. Right now, this doesn't make us good people. Right now, right now the, 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 the most, like the easiest thing that everybody can do is spread awareness about the situation. Uh, we have a, uh, we created a platform called No Dead Souls. 
Uh, it's www.nodeadsouls.com. And on it, you can send, uh, you can, all you need to do is type in your email, your name, and your zip code, and it automatically send messages like a letter to the president, uh, to the trade uh, representative, uh, to the secretary of state, and your um, members of Congress to uh, enact, you know, to press, press them to enact the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act, to uh, uphold, uh, to uh, ask the president to recognize what's going on in East Turkestan as a genocide and then have the United States pressure the United Nations to uphold the genocide convention and to take action, necessary actions, be it sanctions or be it anything else, to pressure China to stop this 21st century Holocaust. Um, And then also to recognize East Turkestan as an occupied state. That way, you know, China can't say, oh, it's my internal affairs. That way, China can be held accountable for violating the so- national sovereignty of another nation and also for engaging in crimes How against humanity. How can people meet, uh, you know, get connected to their local, local Uyghur community? Where, where in the United States are there large Uyghur communities? So the largest uh, Uyghur community are uh, is uh, mostly in the DMV, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, but uh, mostly in Fairfax, uh, Virginia. But all, we also have uh, Uyghur communities in Boston, um, in New York City, uh, in Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, now, this and is uh, Houston. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, and and like. Uh, the the best way to get in touch with them, I mean, is, well, it's very difficult, I guess, like social media is uh, something that you could uh, try to find, you know, um, find them via social media. But also if there's local restaurants, you know, uh, we, uh, we will restaurants, you could possibly. That, you know, that was uh, going to be my next question, which I, which I thought you might think is strange, but, uh, you know. Are there, would you recommend any Uyghur restaurants like in Washington, D.C. for people to go and maybe get connected or to the mosques? I mean, have, have the mosques in the United States been useful to get the information out? So sl- slowly uh, we, we've been reaching out to uh, the mosques in the area um, and uh, some of them, uh, including the Adams Center, has uh, held events. Uh, just last week uh, they held an event on, on the uh, Uyghurs um, uh, just for the Uyghurs and the uh, situation in East Turkestan. Um, and we're st- uh, they're slowly starting to help, but uh, it's still, you know, it's still not enough because every day, the more that governments are remaining silent, the more that people are not knowing about the situation, hundreds of people are dying as we speak. And so we're running out of time. And if this continues like this for another, like some researchers say that if this continues for another two to three years, there won't be anyone, uh, any Uyghurs or anyone left in East Turkestan other than the, uh, the it's Chinese. It's really heartbreaking. Are there any regular protests that people can connect to in front of the Chinese embassy? Um, so we don't... We, we don't protest in front of the Chinese embassy. Uh, we, we've been doing that for the past 30 years. You know, uh, our people have been demonstrating in front of the Chinese embassy and it's an empty building when, uh, and nobody's there. We just yell at and scream at an empty building. Instead, uh, for the past uh, eight months, we've uh, been demonstrating in front of the White House every week on Fridays uh, between uh, 11 and um, 11 and 1 p.m., um, Calling on you know the United States government uh, to uh, uh, to support the Uyghurs and to stop this 
21st century uh, Holocaust, and then also uh, handing out brochures and flyers to people, informing them, you know, because that's where people, there's a lot of traffic. Uh, whereas if we demonstrate in front of the Chinese embassy, we're just going to be uh, standing and staring at an empty building. Uh, where I, nobody I think that's a great idea. What we're and saying. here's my promise to you. Say it. So it's every Friday. And what are the times again? Uh, it's every Friday. It's between 11 a.m. Okay, and 1 p.m. I am going to get have some of my friends, and hopefully there'll be some nice surprises. Um, stand out there with you, Sally. And, you know, I just want to end on this with you. My Our mission is very simple, to stand in solidarity with the vulnerable at the most vulnerable moments in their life. And vulnerable people are not a weak people. They're strong people placed in impossible circumstances. And the only way that strong people placed in impossible circumstances can survive is if others, and we don't have to be strong ourselves, we can be weak, but if enough of us stand in solidarity, then you're safe, you're secure. The children are safe, the children are secure. To think of hundreds of thousands of children having their parents ripped from their arms, their fathers killed, just think of one child one child alone in bed, crying themselves to sleep every night, scared, confused, alone, one child. Now you have hundreds of thousands of children. Think of one family that's cousin is murdered and then cremated. They don't even get the body. This is out of a Greek tragedy. I think of, I think of um, Antigone. It's unbelievable. It's unimaginable. And Sally, this just happened to your family. But this is happening to millions of families. Yes, I mean, the majority of us, we don't know about the others. Sometimes we, like, this is a, a, a special case where we even got news of this. The rest of them, we don't even know. If, like, the, the hundred plus that are in these camps, we don't know if they're alive, if they're dead. We don't know. That's, that's the scariest part is that we don't know. And then that even if they are killed or even if they are murdered, we don't get their bodies. We, we don't have any evidence that they were, that they were murdered. And this is not just our, not, not just my family, but every, every East Turkestani, whether they're Uyghur, uh, Kazakh, other, everybody has at least one or two in the West. Everybody that's in the West has at least one or two relatives. In these camps, Everyone in the more. West has a hole in their heart. Everyone in the West, every quiet moment of their life is invaded by the sorrow of what's happening to their family. And the, the reality is we have to recognize that we're responsible because we are not holding China accountable. The Catholic Church has not held China accountable. American businesses and corporations have not held China accountable. Our government has not held China accountable. I don't like to be a, a do-gooder, Sally. I, I usually keep the mission of our organization to problems that we as Americans have intimately been connected to or even caused, like the chaos in Iraq and Syria and Libya. But you know what? I really believe that we are, in a way, indirectly responsible for what's happening in East Turkestan because our CEOs, our bishops, our elected officials— our movie studio executives are afraid to challenge China. 
what are we afraid of? What do we have to lose compared to what the people of East Turkestan have to lose and are losing? We are so petty. We are so thoughtless that we, we, we should actually be reckless in our, our solidarity and love for others because in the end, there's very little consequences that can come from the little bit of courage that we can express. And Sally, I'd just like you to add the last words. Any last words? I mean, the, my final message is to everyone, you know, at least the least you can do is at least share a tweet, share a, a, a post on Facebook and spread awareness. That's, that's the least that we have that we can do. You know, Ellie Weasel, um, who uh, was a Holocaust survivor, I believe. And uh, it was um, the, the Genocide Prevention Act was uh, um, named after him. And he says, you know, wherever men and women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must at that moment become the center of the universe. And so we all need to think about East Turkestan. You know, every time that if, if, there, if we, you know, are with our family, we need to think about, you know, the, the people in East Turkestan and, and going that are separated from their families. Every time that we look at our kids, we need to think about the kids in East Turkestan that are separated from their families. Every time we are, you know, in, in our comfort, you know, if we're eating, you know, we need to think about what are, what are the people in East Turkestan eating at this moment? Uh, it's winter right now and possibly thousands of people are dying from the, the, the frozen weather. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a, a child, a two, uh, a two year old child was found frozen to death because they took, they took, separated him from his family and then they put him into a, uh, state run orphanage and he just wandered about and, there was no one to even look for, to care for him. And several days later, it was on like Christmas Day that they found his frozen body. Unbelievable. And, uh, well, that's the, sad, that's the sad reality of the world we live in today. And the 20th century taught us that these things don't stay in a box. If we think that we can sit here and be safe and happy as clams, that our children can be safe... Uh, it's not it's not the way it works, that this type of tyranny and oppression erupts. It explodes out of these little pockets like it exploded out of, of the Armenian genocide, exploded and, and engulfed the world in genocide and democide and total war. And so I, that was a beautiful quote that you gave us from Elie Wiesel, that wherever there's people suffering systematically, that should be the center of our universe. And you're a Muslim, I believe. Are you Muslim? And, and I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic. Yes. But I think that is where we can be united in that together, because of our love of God, we want to stand with the most vulnerable people in the world. I think that the gospel of Jesus Christ in one, our social teaching can be summed up in one, in, you know, in one idea that is where you see somebody suffering, you suffer with them, you stand with them. And sometimes being helpless to alleviate their suffering and just being there with them, that's the burden that's the burden. Then you just, you, but you have to be there. You have to stand with them. And I thank you. You're an American, have an American education, and you could be doing whatever you want. You don't have to, 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 to um, attach your life to this horrible struggle. You, cho- you chose to do that. 
And uh, Sally, that, that's just a beautiful thing that makes you a, a beautiful human being. And it's, it was an honor to have you on my, on my little podcast. So thank you. Thank you for having me, um, Jason. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow me because I am relentless on social media. You can follow me on my personal Facebook page because I like to have a conversation with my friends. You are my friend. I also post a lot on Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, and go to my website, movie2movement.com. That's www.movie2movement.com. And you can find out about my latest film projects. Talk to you next week.